Welcome, audience. Hello. Hello. For those of you that have a slight cognitive dissonance. We have been through a smorgasbord, you and me. So many topics broached, crippling rules and regulations of politically correct BS breached, and new allegiances bound, built, and bridged. We have crossed the F-Stars Rubicon with 25 plus episodes prepped, executed, and launched out into the ether. A little side trivia for you, dear audience. The phrase crossing the Rubicon it's an idiom that means one is passing a point of no return. Now, the point of no return, as astronauts have talked about, is when it's farther to go back than to just continue on the journey ahead of you. That's why you've officially reached a point in time or space that is the point of no return. But crossing the Rubicon, it comes from an allusion to the crossing of the river Rubicon by Julius Caesar. The exact date is unknown, but his crossing of the river ultimately led to Caesar's civil war which ultimately led to Caesar becoming a dictator for life. As it was illegal to bring armies into Italy, the northern part was marked by the river Rubicon. His crossing the river under arms was the same as treason, insurrection, or a declaration of war. Some authors claim he uttered the phrase, the die is cast before crossing. So there's a little senseless but sensible trivia for you. Is that not wild? Wowza. We have, for your listening pleasure, an extraordinary gift by way of guest for you today, dear listeners. We have, on these coveted Kimohawk sessions, once unwed, well-read, with a bright red head, red devil. And as she graces our aural alertness with her booming, engrossing vocal presence, we can all say that we have been touched by an angel or a red devil. Either way, this otherworldly experience will forever change you. Prepare yourself, dear listeners. Strap in, sit upright, and revel in Chapter 26, White Collar, Black Belt, Whooping Coffee Clatch, a seven deadly synergy session on Sphere of Influenza, also Chemohawk Podient Sessions with Red Devil. So it's the trifecta. You get an episode a special episode, and then it is a seven deadly synergy session, and it includes a guest. Partner in Kimohawk crime, always right the first time, a little gin with her lime, ends this Red Devil rhyme. Welcome, Red Devil. Hello, thanks for having me. You are the sweetest redheaded demon. You are one quick, slick, demonic sidekick chick. I would make a great announcer at a boxing match. I would make a great voice on a 24-hour-a-day radio station. I've got these rhymes down, don't I? You sure do. And I don't have a soul being a redhead. We knew that. It is my honor and pleasure to know you and have you on as a VIP. What does VIP stand for? Now, you know I like my acronyms, right? I do. Because of the buzzsaw words that we talked about before? VIP stands for Vampiric Infernal Paimon. Paimon was the evil entity in that terrifying, unsettling, spectacular film, Hereditary. No, I'm kidding. VIP is very important audience. Well, Red Devil, what brings you here today on this special chapter 26? Do you have any inkling of what we will be discussing? I have a little bit. I know we're going to talk a little bit about mental health, about things that can really get you through the day and support just your overall well-being at work. 
Would you say it's fair to make the assumption that to truly know something about mental health, it would behoove you to know from personal experience having a lack of mental health and then having maybe a surplus of it? Don't you think that helps you fully understand the process? Certainly. I think you have to also go through some things and maybe go on your own journey to understand what is mental health to you. What is What are ways that you maybe need to pivot in order to enhance your overall balance from a work perspective and from a life perspective? You hear those smooth transitions, audience? This is coming from someone who spends about four hours a day placating the masses and reminding them that things are well within budget and things are taking a turn for the positive. Do you think on its face that mental health is a real concern or do you think it's just a term that a bunch of sissy wimps use? I think it's absolutely, I, I buy in completely to the realness and attention that mental health warrants. I am happy that COVID has highlighted the importance of mental health and just kind of shown a spotlight on that. And I'm glad that it's finally, in my opinion, getting the attention that it needs as far as overall well-being. And something I'd love to talk about later in our discussion, falsetto, is work-life harmony versus work-life balance. A very interesting concept I've recently researched. It's just so comical to me to hear you talk about COVID and the concept of harmony. It was in my last full chemo walk session that I talk about co-video conferences with COVID and how... Whereas it appeared to be a shipwreck with all the confusion and panic, if you look a little closer and you research a little further, there was actually quite a bit of booty and loot and jewels and treasures that were found in that shipwreck. Also, to hear you talk about harmony, I talked about it a little bit with the lie of diversity, but I just was talking about how with harmony, if you want to have a harmonious workplace, it's important that you have people that are on the same page. Now, as far as whether they're the same culturally or age or gender or what have you, that remains to be seen, but I think it's important for there to be harmony. People have to agree. They have to agree with the company's message. They have to agree that they're being treated fairly. And if you have people that don't feel that way or they're lacking mental health, I think it's fair to say you're going to have disharmony. Now, you have a musical background, right? I do, yes. Without going into too much detail, as we keep anonymity in these broadcasts, would you say that you went to school for music? I did, initially, and I ended up minoring in vocal performance, actually. So you could almost be construed as an expert on the musical topic, right? Sure. <laughs> so when, when you put together a musical production, is it better to have harmony or dissonance? Definitely harmony. I mean, you want to make sure that what you're singing, what you're playing is pleasing to the ear, and there's a whole science behind harmony. I rest my case, audience. I told you before, I'll tell you once more, you now have a musical expert in front of us today. It's better to be harmonious in the workplace. But that was for a pre previous episode. Today, we're going to be talking about mental health, and we're going to start by defining our variables. First variable expression, quit while one is ahead. What does this mean? To cease, end, or give up doing something in which one has found some amount of success, especially so as to not risk spoiling or reversing that success. This is for my boy Lambro, this example. As soon as I made a bit of a profit playing poker, I decided to quit while I was ahead. The reason I bring up this term, some part of mental health is what I call extremism, and this is an enemy to mental health. These are the people that have all or nothing attitudes. They will cut out complete food groups from their diet, they will refuse to go to certain establishments, or they won't even date someone named Kyle, because someone named Kyle tripped them in the third grade. 
They are extreme in their beliefs, and this is no good. Because in being extreme, it does not allow for the possibility of rational thoughts. When someone says, I never quit, sometimes you hear it in the Marines, I never quit. Well, do you quit when you're ahead? Just saying. I thought this up all by my lonesome. Do you quit while you're ahead, Red Devil? Or do you keep going, though it's foolish? I definitely would say I keep going. You have that confidence pushing you, right? Okay, so you would continue going even if you're not quitting while ahead. You're taking a huge chance that all will be well. Well, that's great. I wish I had that kind of courage. I guess that makes me a quitter, but I quit while I'm ahead. Just saying. Another term, coffee clash. It is a noun. It is German in origin. German. An informal social gathering for coffee and conversation. We had a coffee clash once at my former company. It was in the wake of the Time's Up and Me Too movements. Oh yes, they would extend emails which read, Women's monthly coffee and chat. All may apply or arrive. Um, all women? Question mark. I almost joined a book club fairly recently. Thought, why not? I knew it was XX chromosome laden, but I still did not see the issue. In retrospect, I would have been crucified upside down on a fire ant hill had I partaken in this women's book club. I finally peeked at the proposed reading list, virtually all contemporary femme fatale empowerment novels, which is well and fine as the crow flies straight. But would I have been granted a fair shake? My testosterone-fueled assertions, I am a man, after all. Am I a man, Red Devil? You are. Huh. At least we got that right. And I think that bleeds through, no matter how I present my words or enunciate the touchy words. Would my XY perspectives have been entertained? Question mark. I do wonder still. I never went to the coffee clatch at work because I felt like it wasn't truly an invitation to me. I felt like it was a coffee clatch for women run by women. And that's fine. But don't say it's open to all. You're just setting yourself up for falling in a bear trap. Another example of coffee clatch is gossip over cups of coffee. That is the direct translation from the German, gossiping over cups of coffee. I love good gossip as much as the next bipedal primate, but that WCC, or Women's Coffee Club, or WKK, Women's Coffee Clash, as it is a German word and it's hard on the Ks, was not inclusive. It was faction-specific and bifurcating. That was before the gender confusion which we all get to enjoy currently. I would not even want to take a mock to that metaphorical mess we find ourselves in presently. So coffee clash. This episode is whooping coffee clash. When people come to work sick and spit up in your coffee, thereby making you sick. How did you feel, Red Devil, when people came to your workplace sick and you and you knew that what they had was contagious? Nope. I would close my door. I would spray Lysol whenever I could. I just think that's irresponsible and honestly a little bit selfish. I think we could agree that it is heavily selfish. Those darn jerks. You can say things like that. You can cuss, by the way. You just have to put some asterisks in there. I'm not going to risk Okay, so here's some quotes. You bite your nails. It's a bad habit. People always tell you the eyes are the windows to the soul. Bull stars. It's your hands. That's the sign of a gentleman. That was Robert De Niro as a prisoner in the movie Great Expectations. Keep your bad habits, dear audience. Nail biting, dip spitting, lip smacking, and general slovenliness to yourself. Or better still, hide it. Like a tuxedo kitten, you are attempting to smuggle into your townhome and circumvent pet bees. If you have bad, disgusting habits, do not bring them to work. There was a guy at my former company, Lambro and I came to know him well, in the sense that we learned his habits. We had nothing to do with this disgusting degenerate. He would brush his teeth right there in the bathroom, not three feet from a urinal. 
Does he not know that those particles travel in the air? And here he is brushing his teeth. It's disgusting. Anyways, that's all we may expect of man, this side the grave. His good is knowing he is bad. Robert Browning. You know when you are sick, audience, do not infect the rest of us with your nose-blowing and snot-throwing and germ-bestowing. Take sick days. My buddy Brooks, he was sick one day at work, and this is before we had work from home. You know what he did? He did the honorable thing. He took it upon himself to go downstairs into one of the little hotels, and he worked there for the rest of the ship. He isolated himself before isolation was even a thing. He took it upon himself. Now I know it was kind of a free rider benefit for him because he got to get away from all those loud people, but he did the honorable thing. He worked at the office, but he did not infect the rest of us. Thank you, Brooks, for taking the higher path. Red Devil, I believe that at some of your companies, former companies, explain to me how it worked, but you would be given sick days. But in the manual, it would strongly encourage you to not take them. Can you kind of explain to me that process a little bit? Sure. So obviously we have sick days legally. We have to, you know, our, my employer would have to abide by those. I think an interesting conversation has emerged over the last few years about what really warrants a sick day. There's one thing to be said about what you've already been talking about, falsetto, which is when you are visibly sick, you have the sniffles, sneezes, anything, you know, a headache, anything like that. Ex exorcist vomit. Exactly. 100% that would qualify obviously would qualify for a sick day. But one of the things that has come up recently in debate is what about, you know, is a mental health day considered a sick day? And we may talk about that a little bit more in the future. I'm not sure what you have planned for us today, but I certainly think that's something that we need to talk about. Obviously, if you are physically ill, don't come to work. You don't want to be spreading that. You wouldn't want someone coming to work and spreading that to you. But we do need to talk about Mentally, if you are not in the space to show up for work, be your best self, be your best employee, be the best representative for your company, should you be at work that day? And um, I think that's that's certainly something COVID has brought into the conversation and should continue to be part of the conversation. My stance specifically is I don't think that we should feel guilty about having to raise our hand and take a mental health day. Um, it's going to allow you to show up better at your job. It's going to allow you to show up better as a human, as a family member, as a loved one. And I don't think that should be something that you feel guilty about being honest and transparent about. That is an excellent point. And it gets me thinking about, for example, the United States military. Now, I try to talk about militaristic examples when I can. I have some very close friends that are actively serving in the military. And I know a lot of people that actively served in the military. And they have more courage than I. Plus, they do better at being in close quarters with a lot of men and other people, and they do well to follow orders. I've always struggled with order following, so I don't know if I would have made a very good soldier, because my understanding of a good soldier is that soldiers follow orders. In the military, as you know, there were large bouts of time where the soldiers that were experiencing shell shock, they were not treated as though they had a real hurt locker or a real pain. It was almost like it was imaginary or something along those lines. I remember that story of Patton, General Patton, slapping a soldier in the infirmary because the soldier was just really struggling psychologically. In the wake of progress, I think that we've realized that mental health, particularly with veterans, for example, is a real problem. It's not imaginary. If it's true for the military, I think it can be true to other facets of life. So I agree that mental health, while it can sound kind of cosmopolitan and it can sound like you're checking a box, I think it is a very real concern. Another quote. 
Compromise means to go just a little bit below what you know is right. It's just a little bit, but it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. Joyce Meyer. If you want me to deem you a reasonable life form, dear audience, act as if those around you care about your appearance, your health, and your F-star's wellness. It's not too much to ask, dear listeners. But we are talking about not only being healthy, like coming to work healthy and non-sick, but we also, like I mentioned briefly, the idea of extremism. You want to have a healthy mind. You want to have a healthy mindset. Try not to get bogged down in all or nothings. Try not to be untractable. Try to be flexible. You've heard about the, the branch that does not bend snaps off. What about you, Red Devil? Do you consider yourself to be a fairly even-tempered, reasonable life form? Or do you think that you're prone to extremeness? I would say 90% of the time, I'm very flexible. There are moments in time when maybe I can't call it that, but I'd certainly say go with the flow, flexible. Those would be words that I would describe myself as. Would you say that those were qualities that you would actively seek in a superior? Absolutely. We want what comes to mind. The word that comes to mind for me is grace. And that may be a little swayed off of of topic, but we all want to be in a situation where we have flexibility, not only from an employee standpoint, where we're coming in and we feel comfortable asking for flexibility, but we also want to receive flexibility from those who oversee us or those who we work with. We want to be bendable. We want to have that attitude from others and receive that attitude from others that we can feel comfortable shifting should the situation require that. I have two follow-ups. The first is, would you say that if you know a boss or a colleague is more even-tempered and they're not extreme, that creates a placid environment where you feel comfortable approaching them because you know that even if they, they don't agree, they're less extreme and they may actually hear out your full consideration. Absolutely. You're going to feel more comfortable coming to that person. You're going to feel more comfortable being honest and transparent with that person without risking judgment, without risking any impact to your job or your career or just your overall well-being or status at the company. As far as judgment goes, have you ever heard the expression, judge not, yes, thee be judged? Yes. Something I, along those lines? Less. I think it's less. I don't know. It's old, it's old, like it's old English. We'll just say it it's is. old English. The other thing I was going to say to your response was if you had a daughter and you named your daughter Grace, do you think they would automatically have Grace or do you think they would still have to work at it? Absolutely. They would still have to work at it. Ugh, it so is not something that comes naturally. I don't think. There's no shortcuts here. No. Like what if you named your kid Tolerance? Do you mm. think they would already have Tolerance? I wish. Okay. You have to be intentional about those qualities. You have to, first of all, define and know what they mean. And then from there, you make your opinions on how you can implement that should you so choose. By the way, audience, this is bordering on off topic, but I will tell you, I am a huge proponent of strong names. If it's a boy, give it a masculine F-star's name. If it is a female, give her a feminine F-star's name. But these unisex and cross-sex application names are bogus and terrible. If it's a boy, heck, the only name is still safe is probably Jack. And if it's a girl, Gwendolyn. But man, these names are getting tricky with each passing day. The Taylors and the Tylers and the... Paytons? Oh, that's brutal. It is important to be temperate. Nothing to excess, as we have discussed in some shorts. This applies to mental health. It is also important to make time for yourself away from the myriad of monitors and other life forms on occasion. 
so that you can face yourself and learn about the essence of you. But it is also vital to keep a healthy, physiological shell, which houses your blood, bile, and organs, but also a mental, psychological health. This begets preaching, but infinitely more so practicing a healthy, philosophical recitation. You know people who deal in extremes? These are the, I never quit, even when I'm ahead. These are being willfully dense and consciously retarded. Never deal with extremes, all or nothing ultimatum themed credos. Example, I never quit, or never quit. But what about if you are ahead? I ask this question. Quit while you are ahead, dummy. What about that, Mr. Slash Miss Extreme? Take that to the bank and cash it. Oh wait, the check bounced. Wah wah. Do not be extreme in anything. This speaks to health and mental health. Extreme diets, extreme straight ticket voting, extreme high horse moral stances. No, no, no. You want to find out if someone's extreme or not? Just play like devil's advocate with them. So for example, I would say Red Devil. Do you consider yourself a conservative or a liberal? Don't answer the question, but just think. If someone asks you that question and you say, oh, you know, I'm a moderate or I just vote the man. But then you start asking these hard polarizing questions that you either are for or against. And you know what they, what you start picking up is that 27 of the 30 questions you ask or more, they answer in one side of the political spectrum. But they claim that they're a moderate. Well, they're moderately full of B-stars if you ask me. Dictatorship naturally arises out of democracy and the most aggravated form of tyranny and slavery out of the most extreme liberty, Plato. Why don't you read the next quote, Red Devil? All empty souls tend toward extreme opinions. William Butler Yeats. Fine reading. Fine reading indeed. I handpicked these quotes for you, dear audience. They're not randomly selected. Attending in-person work while coughing are contagions and contaminants. This speaks to the very soul of the matter of whooping coffee clatch. I was talking to an attorney once, and she used to live in San Francisco. Come to San Francisco, you're sure to wear some flowers in your hair. She said that she got whooping cough and other diseases just from riding public transportation, like the trolley. That's one thing if you have to take public transportation to get to work. But if you are in your workplace with people that you supposedly know, theoretically trust, you shouldn't be getting sick from them. They should have taken sick days, right? If you are presently on site and your colleagues are contagious and coughing, if their rationale for being present and accounted for whilst infirm and enfeebled is to save their sick days for when they are 100%, I say they should be sprayed in the face with skunk juice until they match the coloration of said skunk. I struggle to arrive is either the epitome of selfishness, like you were saying, Red Devil, it's selfish, or cluelessness. But either way, they will get no shelter or compassion here. Stop making people sick. Your counterparts, people you call your friends, why? Why do this? With every passing throat-clearing cough and nasal rocket-launching sneeze, you put those around you in an untenably awkward position. Do they call you out or bite their now-contaminated tongue? Stop it. Stay the F-Stars home. Call in and binge-watch your favorite streaming saga. Now, Red Devil, what would that be for you? What would be a favorite streaming saga or two on Netflix or some such thing? Well, it depends. Currently, 100% in Stranger Things, I rewatched the whole entire series and made you do the same <sighs> in preparation for season four. And that's definitely what's on my agenda today, but also always a true crime show. I will watch endlessly. 
Yeah, it's my understanding that she will watch five to six hours before going to bed of violent murder on college campus, redheaded students, and then wonder why she wakes up screaming in the middle of the night saying, Don't stab me, demon man! Please, no! I have a family! I mean, it doesn't take a brain surgeon to see that connection. Coming to work sick, you know I like my analogies and metaphors now. Coming to work sick is like knowing your vehicle is leaking its vehicular fluids, oil, antifreeze, and gasoline all over the road. And then driving for eight more hours, creeping as close to all passerby as possible. Why endanger the masses, you selfish son-slash-daughter-of-a-B-stars? The reason I'm so passionate about this particular topic, I was at work, and we were sitting in these half-wall partitions about two feet apart from each other. And one day, someone that we call library came to work sick and was coughing up a storm. And within the next week, everyone that was in that person's immediate vicinity was also out from anywhere from two to three days with illness. That's like shooting a soldier in the leg, and then every person that tries to fix that soldier gets some poison in their system. You've wounded four for the price of one. Why? Why did this person come to work? Now I know with things being more virtual, it's not as much of an issue, right? But like you were saying, you still shouldn't be working because customers, customers can hear you and they, they hear that you're not at your best. How do you deal with that? How do you deal with you're feeling under the weather, but you try to do your work, but your work entails that you have to be on the phone about four hours a day. How do you make that work when you don't feel good? Don't customers ask you? What's wrong? Should you really be at work? Does your company make you work sick? I absolutely think that you have to set that boundary. And that's something that was hard to navigate after several of us started working from home after the pandemic. We had to be the adults who said, I don't feel well, and it is okay that I take a sick day when I'm not physically up to the task, when I don't have the energy physically to show up to be my best self. You're not going to be bringing ideas to the table. You need to not only set that boundary for yourself, but you also need to set that example for colleagues or perhaps individuals who maybe look up to you. Maybe you're a more senior person on the team and you are setting those examples. You are setting the culture, whether you are aware of it or not, your decisions impact others on your team. And by your example of, putting your health first and taking care of yourself, that is also going to allow others to feel more comfortable doing the same for themselves. And it's going to also help them set those boundaries at a personal level. Now you worked for a company before that you struggled to maintain the mental health balance, right? Absolutely. Yes. And then what changed between then and your current company where you were able to make that like metaphysical realignment with being able to distance your work from your decompression away from work? Well, I would say it wasn't overnight. There was some personal turmoil or some personal searching that I had to do and obviously bring myself to the comfort of speaking up and being comfortable calling out. Of course, when you're physically ill, that's that's a little bit easier, right? But when maybe mentally you're just not up to the challenge, especially with everything going on, perhaps that takes a bit more courage. I would say the biggest difference between my prior company companies and the company I'm at now, specifically the department I'm in, is the messaging from leadership. My leadership team, I have never worked with a group this phenomenal. They 
are consistently sending our group messaging and reiterating the importance of taking care of ourselves, both physically, mentally, in every aspect of the way, and consistently during team meetings, bringing up focus items from a mental health standpoint, from a self-care standpoint, different topics on how we can improve focus on our mental health. And really the bigger picture is how that action benefits the group as a whole. When we take care of ourselves, it truly not only feeds out to our immediate colleagues, our immediate team, but also our clients, those who we are representing and those we are being paid to show up for and to advocate for and to provide a service for. So having that consistent, having that consistent messaging from a higher level, trickling down into the overall organization or department has made a vast difference. And I would say even in the last 12 months, this has been something that has been a focus and has made a real impact on the department I'm currently serving in. Do you think that the managers, aka middle managers, aka M&Ms, do you think that they are also partaking in taking breaks and mental health days and taking sick days? Or do you think that they struggle with keeping that balance because of their position? I would argue the first. I absolutely see that example being set by our managers, our M&Ms. And they're following it. They are following it. I would say this is something in the last 12 months that has been even more of an underscore for my department. But consistent messaging and consistent actions from our leaders, from our M&Ms, has been to put your health first, whether that be physical, whether that be mental, and to find a way to be flexible and still be successful at your job, but without sacrificing your health. It's just funny because there are rare circumstances when I can think of someone saying, you're not working enough in your personal life. You should probably spend more time at work because that will be good for you. It'll be therapeutic for you. Now, sometimes people will immerse themselves in their work to hide from something. They will work abroad or they will work 100 hours a week because they're hiding from a tragedy or they're hiding from the despicable moments of their own personal life. I've usually heard of it as a unhealthy coping mechanism, right? When people will like lose a loved one and then they'll bury themselves in work. It's clearly a denial avoidance situation. The reverse is less true. I think if you're working all the time and people say, you should probably take some time for yourself. You should probably step away from work and take some me time. I think that is actually very healthy. To bring it all together, I would say when I was in the hospital and then I was in recovery, it finally got to a point the first time I'd heard a nurse say, going back to work, but it wasn't so much about work. It was more like just going back to a normal routine instead of coming in every day or every other day for these cancer or surgery related follow-ups because I was off work for many months. But they said going back to a normal routine could be beneficial. That is, though, to me, the exception, not the rule. Whereas spending way too much time at work and not having an equivalent balance in your personal life can be very problematic very quickly. And that is definitely something that I know you, Red Devil, have struggled with in the past. Absolutely. I One of the things that I would even say prior to working with this company, I would feel guilty for calling in sick, whether that be physical or mental. 
And I had mentioned earlier in the episode the term work-life harmony instead of work-life balance. And what I love about that term is at the end of the day, you're not always going to have balance in your life. Sometimes there's going to be moments in your life that your personal challenges are weighted more heavily. Sometimes it's going to be your professional challenges are weighted more heavily. Maybe you're working towards a promotion, something like that. And so what is imperative is to pause and evaluate consistently what is going on in your life at this moment that needs more weight. And as a result of that, where do I need to be more flexible? And I guarantee if you are at a company that is supportive and and really where you need to be in just a good working environment, I guarantee if you go to your manager or you go to your supervisor and talk to them, have a moment of vulnerability that will encourage bonding, that will encourage respect. It should. If it doesn't, maybe you're not at the right company. Maybe you're not in a company that is going to contribute to your growth just as a human, not even just as an employee. I didn't feel like a human at my former company. I know. I felt less than nothing. Basically, what you're saying is that with the work-life harmony in lieu of balance, instead of looking at it as like a cold chemistry calculation that you're trying to balance out, it's more fluid than that. It's constantly changing and you're just making sure that you're making appropriate changes on the seesaw to kind of counteract the whatever is requiring more of your time or energy. To finalize the whooping coffee clash, dear listeners, coming to work sick, whether you're around others or not, is a seven deadly synergy. It is a synergy in expanding the sphere of influenza. And this is a mortal sin, which in the Catholic rules is the worst kind of sin. It is a mortal sin for purposes of this podcast classification, chemohawk session. Why? Why is it grave and mortal? Because you harm, infect, and innervate your fellow friends in both an individual and group attack, but you also disrupt and devitalize your WC's workforce in a collective way. Stop spreading the sphere of influenza. For those of you who are raising your phantom hand, asking, Professor Prophet, what about those of us who are virtual, thus free from these selfish A-stars clowns who pass along contagions out their snouts and pie holes? I am so pleased you asked. This is where I rejoined her with, focus on your own health and cellular safety, whether home or abroad. You must be cognizant of your own health meter, only you know what that is, and make sure you are resting and replenishing fluids. And it's especially important you replenish fluids because of all the drinking that I tell you to do, hard liquor drinking, just to get through the day. We call that liquid mental health. You know when it is fun to work at your fun job? When you feel like a million F-Stars dollars. I know Red Devil enjoys her day when she feels energized and revitalized. Alert with a full tank of vigor. You know when working sucks llama nuggets? Do you know what a llama nugget is, Red Devil? I don't know if I want to know. Exactly, and that's why it sucks llama nuggets. When you feel sleep deprived, throat sore, head icky with clouds of sloshy debris, and a sickly, sallow, yellow haze over all that you see. Take your sick days appropriately, dear audience. Nuggets. Personal nugget time. We we will segue into the personal nugget or nuggets. But first, do you have any questions for Falsetto about this genre of material or any color under the sun? I don't have any questions, but I would be interested in other perspectives and 
other people's experiences to see what has their experience been in their workplace, or maybe if it's been a bad experience, what do you wish that experience was like, or what type of culture would you be interested in receiving from your superiors? Good questions indeed. Perhaps I can formulate some future episodes that rehash some of these topics after people have had time to process some of this information. I'll just tell you some nuggets, dear audience, that Red Devil is all too familiar with. Cat adoption. This is one way to skyrocket your mental health into the positive. There was a cat, orange, it was an orange tabby, a lifetime ago at this apartment complex. And I had never owned a cat before, but Red Devil had. She had owned an orange one, in fact. After a little bit of deliberation, this cat was adopted, and its name became OJ. Now, immediately, whenever we would tell people, oh, his name is OJ. Oh, yeah? Like the killer? Yes. This cat has not only driven around in a Bronco, but he can wield a knife, and he also was a professional football star. No, no, no. OJ is just because he's orange. Duh. But then the real treat came along, because OJ was kind of Red Devil's cat, or a hybrid cat. But then Othello entered the mix, and Othello was and remains my cat. Othello is right behind me right now, and he's getting bothered by Red Devil, so now he's getting antsy and taking it out on me. I can't blame Othello for that, though, because somebody is instigating. Another piece of advice as far as Nugget goes to your audience. If you are a male or a female and you're proposing to the other, make sure that the ring is insured on the floater policy before you propose. If you have the poor sense of proposing on a bridge over a body of water that is moving at a fairly rapid rate, you run the risk of losing that ring before they even place it on their finger. Do make sure the ring is insured. That is a little bit of knowledge just for you. What about you? Any any little tidbits? Any little nuggets? Any at all? I just don't feel like OJ got representation on your podcast. You talk about Othello all the time. And I feel like I just need to give a little advocacy to those orange tabbies, especially the nails. They are so sweet, and OJ is one of my best ways to decompress in the afternoon after work. I just hop on the couch, he hops right up there with me, and starts purring as loud as I have ever heard a purr, and he's just so sweet and loyal. And I hope that, OJ, you are listening to this podcast so you can know that your mother loves you, and your father does too, even though he talks about your brother much more often. Now, I'm going to put you on the spot here, but I already know the answer. But so that anyone listening will know the answer in perpetuity. Which cat is the cutest cat no. in the entire world? You can only pick one and you can only pick once. I'm not recording this. Nope. Nope. You heard it here, dear listeners. Omission of answering is all the answer that you need. A little nugget. I was most miserable on the hospital slab. I called it slab in lieu of bed, for it could have ultimately been my coffin. Red Devil was there to see this, my near-death experience and it is as real as real gets. But lying there, mind in a drugged mushroom cloud of radioactive fog, body innervated to the point that I did not have the finger strength or dexterity to clip my own F-Star's fingernails, ribs sore, post a fisticuff session with the likes of Robbie F-Star's Lawler from the UFC, unable to move at all or think through my situation. That was the worst. But on the other side of that sandwich, that other loaf, so to speak, I was slightly more content, but miserable at my WCC position. Every day, exactly the same. No winning, nothing to look forward to except the occasional training I was provided time to facilitate, and the weekend. Problems were never truly solved. Problems compounded into other griefs, 
becoming an indistinguishable mix. I did not see the value in what we were doing, nor was it ever explained why it mattered. I felt low and unappreciated, for the meat in the middle of this happy hoagie was when I was getting chemotherapy. Sure, the thrice daily drives to the hospital wore on me, but it was far closer than the bomb shelter of an office I worked at. We have a specific strategic plan for my healing with that chemotherapy, and there was order, and there were milestones and aired accomplishments along the way. Balsetto, you've had four successful infusion treatments. You've only got four more to go. We're halfway there, buddy. I was not at work, so I had time to read, walk leisurely, ponder, reflect, and in that pensive brooding state, I was able to finally shed an illuminating beam on where I was and how I got there. I liked my doctor, the infusion nurses. When I arrived with my mohawk to receive another infusion dose, I felt like an F-Star superhero for sitting in this cancer ward with a plush, lively mohawk atop my head with sincere smiles and loud F-Star's laughs. I was happier in that F-Star's infusion center than I remember being in my WC cell, with dumb A-Star's wardens and tear guards patrolling the rows like a vigilant priest. That is effed, is it not? I'm telling you, audience, I was happier getting chemotherapy than I was sitting in these backwards, upside-down meetings that went on interminably long. Maybe it's effed up, maybe not. But it is true, and forever soldered to my memory, which is sounder than your average F-Stars bear. Red Devil, how solid is my memory? Annoyingly solid. <sighs> Very well. This last quote is from me. I crafted this quote. I got a taste of the real world, and my palate rebelled. Falsetto Prophet. Remember the best days, Podience, spending all day at the pool, pilfering pizza from the lifeguard, gilded skin and chiseled chin. I miss those innocent, blissful moments of yore. Getting old and wearing the suffocating satchel of life can prove trying, dear listeners. That's why it is imperative that you maintain mental health for yourself. Find fun in the most mundane of occurrences, and never, ever snuff out completely the child inside. Red Devil and I enjoy watching some shows of yore, like Are You Afraid of the F-Stars Dark? Let's see if we can do this in, in unison. Pick, Pick the right the door, door and you'll, and you'll go, go free. free. Pick the wrong door, and there he'll be. Tale of laughing in the dark. Watch it, audience. Clown fearers be wary, but it is so very scary. Thank you, healthy audience. No, I never preach, harp, or carp. I simply inform, educate, and entertain. Tricks acquired throughout the trade, gathered, prepackaged, and voice-to-ear delivered here, dear listeners. I am your warm lighthouse in the maelstrom of those shark-laden white-collar waters. Unwind, be kind, but not just to the multitude, but to yourself, and treat yourself like a freshly littered kitten with kindness and kid kitten gloves. Tune in soon, loyal listeners, for your next medicinal dose as you are unwinding the daily grinding. Chapter 27 White Collar, Black Belt, Customary Scary Customer How to Engage the Enraged Now when we say engage the enraged, dear audience, we don't mean getting a jewelry floater on that ring and wetting them. We mean how to calm them the F-stars down. Falsetto and Red Devil out.